Welcome to Coach My Wellness, a weekly show dedicated to bringing you information about healthy habits and behaviors just for the health of it. Here's your hosts, Joanne and Tammy. Welcome to Coach My Wellness just for the health of it. Your hosts today are Joanne Orshan and Tammy St. Clair. We've been talking about motivation and goals and self-care. And yet, Tammy, I know that there are so many people out there that are struggling right now with getting into the right mindset to help them in order to make more positive decisions. So one of the things that we had someone write into us about was really talking a lot about depression. And I felt a little bit personally uncomfortable with going down that road and really delving into it where you are a clinically certified social worker with the right credentialing and tool set as a therapist to work with people. So I'm going to throw this to you in the beginning to talk a little bit about strategies to help people, number one, identify their depressive state to a degree, as well as things that we might be able to do to help them in order to overcome that. Okay, thanks, Joanne. The The most important thing about depression is getting it diagnosed. And so, you know, that seeing a therapist, coaches are great, we're great, we can help you with a lot of things. But diagnosing clinical depression is outside of our scope of practice as a coach. Within my scope of practice as a therapist, as you said, and I think people throw around the word depression in a very nonchalant kind of a way because they're feeling sad or they're just feeling off their game or they're feeling blue. But depression is a real state often coming from not just circumstances, but body chemistry. And so that's why getting a proper diagnosis so that if you need medication, you can get medication. If you want to approach it through lifestyle and nutrition and other things, that becomes your choice with your therapist. But you need to have a place to start. One of the things that often can trigger a depressive episode, though, is being overwhelmed and just being feeling like life or requirements are too much for you. And I often will equate it with my clients to depression can feel like seeing this tsunami wave coming at you and being paralyzed to get out of the way. And that tsunami wave is just all of the things that your brain throws up as the things you have to do or the responsibilities that you have and how you can't do them, you don't have enough time. And and that overwhelm can often trigger a depressive episode. And then it takes time to get out of it. And then there are things you can do in your daily life. You know, taking care of ourselves on a daily basis can be the things that help head off that depressive episode before it starts. So taking the time to do those self-care things, right? And we always hear, oh, just do some self-care. And everyone's thoughts immediately goes to, I don't have time. I don't have money to go to the spa, to to get get a massage, to get my hair done, get my nails done. But that's not necessarily all that self-care is. 
Well, just remember that self-care isn't all about fancy spas or going on these extravagant vacations. And even though, trust me, I love getting a massage more than maybe many, Mm -hmm. walking by the ocean is also really incredibly relaxing to me. But I need to take better care of myself no matter where I am. And it's not necessarily just going on vacation or to doing that or doing something special. It's truly about being at home, being at, in my office, being with family and friends, just my everyday life as right, far as starting, where I'm at. Right. It's starting where you're at. And we're not always in those, those fancy places. And it's really a series of small choices that add up to a healthier lifestyle. And in your home, in making these perspective shifts, Self-care does not come from the outside. So much of what we talk about on this program is how things come from the inside. And I think we as Americans, we as people, we look for a lot of things coming from the outside to make the shift. But real change, real self-care comes from the inside. And cultivating those skills that we all have to recognize and become self-aware of how, what am I using to cope with depression or anxiety in my everyday surroundings? Well, a lot so, of it has to do with staying tuned in to reading the signals from, from yourself and your body. And just remember that when you're feeling upset or you're feeling out of sorts, whatever that might be for you, it's not just about how you think about things. It's also physical. Lack of wanting to move, lack of exercise, lack of doing anything except being a couch potato, sitting on the TV, eating your troubles away. And when you're in that mind state of whether it's depression, anxiety, negativity, it really can drain your resources for feeling energetic. And that level of people saying, I'm so exhausted, I'm so overwhelmed, or I have headaches. And, you know, I think back to the days my parents many years ago bought a treadmill. And we used to joke about the fact that the treadmill became an elaborate coat hanger, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't used for anything more than throwing the clothes over there. And I remember my mom saying to me, I work all day, I come home, I'm just too tired to exercise. And my response was always, if you exercised, you wouldn't be so tired. Right. And that's kind of a hard concept to understand that because it's about how do I see exercise? One more thing to do or something that's going to give me energy, right? It's, It's about how we do it. But staying in tune with your body can also let you know kind of where you're at. So when you're feeling that, I don't want to move, I don't want to get up, I don't want to open the curtains, I don't want to eat anything, I don't want to get out of bed, those are all signs of depression. And so it's important that you recognize that so that you can start heading those off and be like, oh, wait, I know what this is. And Why am I feeling this way? What else is going on in my life that's making me feel this way? Or you could have times where depression sometimes will counterbalance itself with anxiety. And that's like being on a roller coaster. You're just like going, 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 going. And so you you kind of are like, oh, I have so much to do and I can't 
spend any time doing any self-care for me. And so we go from I'm too tired, I have no interest in doing self-care to I have so much going on that I that I don't have time for self-care. And it's kind of like deciphering what's going on so that you can go about carving out time, either carving out time out of a quote unquote busy schedule in order to take the time out to breathe and to just take a few minutes for yourself or the time out to say, okay, get up. I got to get a shower, get the basics done, take a shower, go outside for a walk. If that's all you can be, because sometimes just that shift is enough that you can readjust your day and how you're how you're feeling because how we feel physically often affects how we feel emotionally and we have talked about breathing Mm -hmm. so many times and I once went to Canyon Ranch many years ago one of the classes that I did was all about the art of breathing and the relaxation that comes from just a couple of minutes of focusing in on deep breaths. We've talked about also my Apple Watch, you know, ringing me and say, just breathe, just breathe, breathe for a minute. But I don't know how many people realize that the deep breathing does a lot of things. It helps to increase circulation. It also releases endorphins and can relax some of the muscles that you have. And it's not as though you have to sit and just breathe all day long, you can do it for a minute, for 30 seconds. We did um, a couple of episodes ago, we did a grounding exercise where we had our audience sit and breathe for a minute or two. And what a difference that it makes to just bring the focus in. And just remember that you can do that any time of the day. You can do it anywhere. You can do it while you're in your car. You can do it while you're at work. You can keep do your it. eyes open if you're in your car. Keeping your eyes right. <laughs> you know, it's just breathing, breathing deep in through the nose and out through the mouth. No matter what it is you're doing, you can give yourself a ten second break. Mm-hmm. And that's you see, but that's where people don't think about. They think, oh, they hear deep breathing, and they think, oh, well, I have to get in the lotus position, or I have to like. Or it's not going to make any difference. Or it's not going to make any difference. And that's so not true. It's the act of just filling your lungs, allowing your body to get a full portion of oxygen. So much of the time when we're in a state of anxiety, we're breathing really shallowly. We're only using like the top third of our lungs. And so the body as a way to compensate for that, it, it keeps making itself smaller and smaller, but to do that, it's getting tighter and tighter, right? So deep breathing allows us to open up. It allows the muscles to relax. It allows our chest to open. And in doing that, it changes the endorphins in our brain. It physically changes our internal body chemistry. And I just had a client, I was talking to them about that this morning, actually. We were talking about some stressful issues she was going through with COVID still and how it's invaded her household recently. And she's got two people in her home that are sick with COVID. And she was just like, I can't, I I don't have time. And I'm like, you have time to take a deep breath. You have time at work when you have to be at work and you're getting overwhelmed and feeling really anxious to just breathe and count to 10 going in, hold it for 
a few counts, count to 10 going out so that you add all of that oxygen to your system so that you disengage a little bit. And you just said something which is related, but maybe a little unrelated, but it's, I think, worth mentioning anyway. You were talking about time. And so many times people say, I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. And what I find interesting is that you and I are both immersed in studying for our national boards for the health and wellness exam. And we have a Facebook group through all of the people that are studying together in our study group. And there was a question that was posed this morning about how much time is everybody spending studying this week? And everyone has careers. Everybody in this group Mm -hmm. is very, very busy. And yet every single response is, well, I'm putting two to three hours a day for maybe four to five days a week. And I sat there and I said, hmm, that's 15 discovered hours just because it's something that they're choosing to do. So when it comes to priorities, if we have a priority that's important to ourselves, somehow we find that time to do what we want to do. Right. We discover minutes, hours where we can do it. And I think what happens, though, is people find time to do things that they pay for. Right. Ah, well, there's no skin in the game. Right. Right. Except that we don't realize that our own self-care, all of our skin is in the game. All of us is in the game. It's not just the money coming out of our pocket to pay for a class or a training or an education, but we are the valuable thing that's being put on the line when we don't take care of ourselves. So, you know, learning to take that 10 seconds, 15 seconds. If you have an Apple Watch, and I'm sure in like the other exercise things, you can set the Apple Watch to remind you to breathe. And, you know, you say that yours always pops up. Mine pops up too. And sometimes I just hit it and I'm like, go away. I don't want to think (laughs) about you. And other times it's like, no, I'm really stressed or I'm really anxious or I'm running between this and that. And I really need to breathe right now. And just that reminder is enough to, if you submit to it, if you recognize it and do it, it's enough to like change the rest of your day and taking that time out. But oftentimes, you know, it's also about changing how you look at yourself in the mirror and getting rid of the negative thinking, right? That constant monologue that goes on in our brains with self-criticism. Well, think about that, Tammy. How did you feel? We've talked about this quite a bit when you were 115 pounds heavier and how you viewed yourself and how that lasted with you and how you translated that negative thinking into how you viewed your physical appearance. Right. You know, when you looked in the mirror, all I know that you've talked about that you did was put yourself down and looking at yourself and saying things like, boy, you know, I've really gained more weight or you look disgusting or you're never Mm going to get in shape, like all that negative stuff. So how did you overcome that by treating yourself with more kindness? What was the catalyst for you? So I had to learn as I lost weight, that self-criticism did not go away. It just shifted. And so, so many times, you know, people will say, oh, I'm just always so self-critical and it's about my weight. 
But I can guarantee you, if you took care of your weight, you would become self-critical about something else. So lots of times people will lose weight and then they'll be like, oh, and now my belly is all flabby or my boobs are hanging or at least when I was fat, I didn't have all these rolls and sagging skin. Well, no, because it was filled with fat. But, you know, sometimes people won't lose weight because they're afraid of what the results are going to look like. It's like we can deal with the results. Like the most important thing is to lose the weight to become healthier. The results can be dealt with later. And so I often talk to people about self-compassion and Kristen Neff's work around self-compassion and how, you know, she talks about talking to your best friend and answering your best friend if they were telling you the things that they were going through and how would you respond to them? Oh, it's going to be okay. You've got these other resources. We're here to support you. But when you begin to talk about it to yourself, you become so very negative and critical. And so I'll often say to people, what gives you the right to speak to yourself that way? And when I take it out of a choice and make it a right, like who do you think you are talking to yourself that way? You wouldn't talk to your child that way. You wouldn't talk to your favorite niece, nephew, grandchild that way. Yet there are so many people that have this negative tape that runs in their heads all the time, and they don't even understand that there is so much negativity that happens as far as feeling guilty or shame or these, you know, distortions and how they impact how you speak to yourself. And so there's this constant inner dialogue that keeps going on. I call it the chatter that's in your head. That just Mm -hmm. doesn't stop. That just keeps going on and on, no matter what it says to you about not being lovable or I'm not being good enough or I could have or I should have. It's really important to understand that the first step in changing how you talk to yourself, number one, is being aware, being aware of what you say to yourself. How often do you put yourself down? What are those things that you are telling yourself? How much do you criticize yourself? And again, the brain does not know the difference between being critical and being positive, except for the response that it has to those thought processes. So if you are constantly talking about all of this negative stuff, you're going to be putting all of this negative reinforcement into your brain, where if you just keep putting positive things in, even if maybe you don't believe it, you know, fake it till you make it, but you keep saying those things over and over again the brain is going to be getting positive feedback. And that eventually will be able to help you to work past some of those negative messages. And you know what? I call it just like, just change the channel. You know, realizing that you have a choice, that you can do something new. So we talked an episode or two ago about Buddha's brain and about how do you change those thoughts. And initially, if you're not aware of it, If you can't recognize it, then you can't work on it. You can't change it. So once you've become aware of something, then the concepts around Buddha's brain is you recognize the thing and then you call it out, say to yourself or speak back to it about what's invalid. And then you're going to pull out the weed, think of it as a weed, and you're going to plant a flower. So I may think, oh, my my belly's hanging and I'm so disgusting and I can't believe this to something that you said in an earlier episode about 
this is my vessel that has birthed three children. So you know what? My belly might be hanging, but I have three kids to show for that. That's really good. So you're going to pull out the negative thought and replace it with a positive thought that this is the evidence of three wonderful, beautiful children whom I love to the end of this world. And kind of identifying those things, acknowledging that it's okay. You can be frustrated with how you look. You can be discouraged, but it's about not turning them inward. See, when we turn them inward is where the problem happens. It's how you deal with it, which is really what propels you either forward, staying where you are, or having a setback. Because once you put yourself in that anxiety state, it is challenging to come out of it, to really take that deep breath or to even think to take that deep breath. Right. But I think where we lose it is we don't recognize that we have a choice, right? We have to recognize that we have a choice about how are we reacting to things or are we responding? So you have a choice in telling yourself something new or telling yourself the old script. Right. So I used to do timeout. I remember Mm -hmm. when my kids were small and we had this timeout bench and when their behavior was kind of inappropriate or out of control, they went to their timeout bench. It's really funny. But I can tell you that there are times that if I'm feeling anxious about something or I'm feeling sad or I feel that depressive kind of state escalating a little bit, you know, there's there's a feeling that I get inside and I'm aware of it. And for a long time, I wouldn't acknowledge that. And I would just say, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. But I don't do that anymore. When I'm getting into that situation and I acknowledge how I'm feeling, I take that time out for myself, whether it's doing a meditation, which we've talked about, or just doing some breathing, or sometimes I just shut everything off and I get away and I'll take a brief walk. Because Mm -hmm. I need a moment to take a break from myself so that I can go back to having a better sense of having a decision about what my actions are, where I'm being accountable to me for the responsibility of making those choices, whether I'm moving forward or backwards. Right. And then uh, when I do my own timeout moments, I take Brooklyn for a walk. So, well, that's fun. And Brooklyn, she's getting older. She's like 11 or 12 now. So she doesn't move as quickly as she is. And Brooklyn is her dog, by the way, not a person. Brooklyn is my dog. (laughs) And those times that I need the timeout is I'll walk at her pace instead of sort of forcing her to walk at my pace or forcing her to hurry up. And so it's just like, nope, this is Brooklyn's walk. This is her time. And I need to just pay attention that this walk is for her. Meanwhile, it's for me, but this walk is for her and to just take that time out. And I think, you know, people don't think about it. They'll say, oh, again, here we go with the, oh, I don't have time for that. I'm sorry. You have time to go to the bathroom and close the door. And even if you're a mom and you've got the little kids hanging at the door, mom, 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 you can be like, mommy needs five minutes. Close the door. Leave the door open. Maybe you have a a way that uh, my grandmother used to put a towel on her head that would cover her face. (laughs) Really? And everybody knew, oh, leave grandma alone. She's got the towel on her head. And it was just hysterical. 
of because she was always in the kitchen, right? So when she was in the kitchen and she was doing you know stuff that she was always doing, she would put the towel over her head and it was just like, up, oh, leave her alone. And then you'd come back in and it'd be gone and she'd be in a better mood and things would move on. She figured out how to take a time out for herself in the midst of 16 grandkids, five kids, their spouses, everything going on in the house. Those old fashioned uh, milk towels. Yeah. So create that timeout, create that mindful moment for yourself so that you can regain your sense of who you are and appreciate what you like about yourself. But also give yourself some fun. Even 10 minutes. Turn on the Cartoon Network. Watch a comedy. Listen to a funny podcast. Do something that's just fun. Turn on YouTube and watch a couple of your favorite comedy artists. Those are the important things. And you can even then move on into, you know, setting more routines and all of that stuff in your life. And we'll talk about that when we come back is more ways of setting up that self-care that it doesn't have to just be a massage at the spa and taking out a whole day of your time and a couple of hundred bucks. Well, that that's for sure. There are a lot of things that we can do to have fun that are simple. And even, you know, things, for example, it could be something like making a bath or lighting a candle for yourself. And I know that sometimes just even drinking a hot cup of tea, there is this whole mindset, thought processes of, you know, what it does to your brain when you're putting your hands around a warm glass of something. It's just very soothing Mm -hmm. and comforting. So it's finding ways outside of food in order to satisfy and comfort ourselves that Mm -hmm. still give us joy that will reinforce the positive mindset that we're trying to create for ourselves. So I noticed I just said trying. And that's, of course, if you're in that place where you're not feeling perhaps really successful. And again, even like faking it till you make it, just keep doing it, keep Mm -hmm. doing it because it's better than you know, think about that. If you have this cup of tea and you're holding it and it's warm and it's a little bit soothing, isn't that better than sitting there and berating yourself and eating a whole bag of chips or a pint of ice cream? Right. It's about learning how to honor your needs. And in in honoring your own needs, you're communicating to others what you need and how they can help you to meet those needs. Thank you so much for joining us for this first portion of this. And Tammy, I'd love to continue this to give our viewers a sense of how to relax a little bit more and how to uh, be aware of what they're feeling and moving forward. So stay tuned. We will be right back. See you soon. Welcome to Coach My Wellness, a weekly show dedicated to bringing you information about healthy habits and behaviors just for the health of it. Here's your hosts, Joanne and Tammy. So welcome back to Coach My Wellness, just for the health of it with Joanne and Tammy. And before we left, we were talking about ways of giving yourself 
a bit of relaxation, doing some self-care, and that it's not all about going to the spa and spending hundreds of dollars. It's about all of these other little things that you can do. So recognizing to start from where you're at, tuning into your body, breathing deeply throughout the day, changing how you look at yourself in the mirror, paying attention to how you talk to yourself, creating mindfulness moments where you're just being mindful and being in the moment, not letting your brain run away into other things. The last thing we talked about was creating personal timeouts. And then I mentioned, just started to mention doing some fun things. And that can be only 10 minutes. So that is, you know, like I had mentioned before, watching a short YouTube video, turning on some music and dancing in the kitchen. Just kind of doing things that are fun. And there's a great saying that you always see, you know, dance like nobody's watching. That's really because we're often so self-conscious, which then plays into our negative self-talk and our how do we see ourselves. So, Tammy, let me ask you, for someone who might be in a, quote, depressed state, who doesn't have the gumption to Mm -hmm. do something fun. Mm -hmm. How can you work with somebody like that to help them to at least try? Sometimes it's about that person having someone that they can confide in who is their motivator, who can call them up and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't talked to you. Come on, get up. Let's go. Let's go meet for coffee. Just kind of engaging them. And there's going to be a ton of reasons why they can't. And sometimes it's just deciding that I don't want to be in the space that I'm in anymore. And that's really hard because when you're clinically depressed, if you've chosen not to take medication, it's really difficult. I'm not saying that it isn't, but it's that's when it's important to have also a therapist that you're engaging with who can also be making sure that you're on track. Because a lot of times the things that are depressing are, yes, life circumstances, but also just how our brain is thinking and only concentrating on the negative. And so having someone who can help you see the positive helps to get that motivation and to get, to get up out of bed having that reason. So for me, it's my dog. You know, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I have my dog who she has to get walked multiple times a day. So whether I feel like getting up or not, I've got to get up and take her out. Look, it's no different than someone having a baby and being in a depressed state. And you have to show up. (laughs) You have to show up for your child. It's not just about you being in that depressed state, which so many people are, and pulling yourself out of that sometimes can be really, really challenging, which is why it's important to have a really good support system around around you. So Tammy, what happened? I kind of lost you there for a second. <laughs> well, I was just talking about being in tune, being there for my dog. And so she just woke up, you know, COVID, we're all recording from home. It's a wonder you don't hear her in the background sometimes. And she had woke up and was like, 
And I knew the bark was coming. So it was like, okay, let me, let me, you know, manage her while still doing the show and not. (laughs) (laughs) And so we learn how to do that, right? We learn how to do that for ourselves. We learn how to comfort those around us, whether it's our kids, our dog, whatever, and still moving on and learning how to comfort ourselves is also something that we have to learn how to do. I'm sure people with multiple kids, each kid needs something different when they're anxious or they're scared or they're whatever. And you learn how to comfort each one of them individually, differently. And so if she does end up barking, you're going to hear her in the background. And she's just trying to get mom's attention, just like any little kid going, mom, mom, mom. It all happens all the time. (laughs) Well, that's just part of life. And we talked about this in an earlier episode of sometimes we have the best of intentions and the best of plans and life can get in the way. It's how you deal with those issues in having positivity or non-positivity and how you think about things. Mm -hmm. You know, not to get too heavy. And I know this is getting off subject, but it's interesting. One of my best friends is a doula. And we were talking the other day and she said to me, I am just so depressed with this uh, overturning of our, you know, Roe versus Wade. And I, I sat there and I said, okay, I know that's depressing, but we have to look at this. Perhaps you can look at this a little bit differently. You have a tool set of value that you can help people that are struggling in their journey with being a doula. Whether or not it has anything to do with Roe v. Wade, you still have the ability to make a positive change in other people's lives. So you can either continue to be depressed about this and let it affect your work, or you can dig in deep and really help those that are in need. Mm -hmm. So it's how you look at it. Right. It always comes back to our perspective. And one of the things that will always affect our perspective is getting good sleep. It It not only affects our weight loss, but it affects our perspective. It's part of self-care, setting up a bedtime routine that helps your brain to know, oh, this is what we're doing now. And, you know, like any mom with kids, you get your kids into a bedtime routine so that they know, okay, we eat dinner and then you're going to take your bath and then you're going to spend a little bit of time in your bed before lights are out and you can read a book, you can play your video game, you can do whatever, but lights are out at this time. And that's the same setting it up for yourself because so many of us feel like we have to be burning the candle at both ends. Otherwise, we're not going to get everything done. And that may be true, which means you have to reevaluate all the things that you've stuffed into your life because you need to keep yourself healthy and well to get to the end of your life. But I know that sleep has been one of the things that you have figured out a way that is helpful for you. Oh, sleep. What an issue. And, and the funny thing is my husband, he's usually snoring before he closes his eyes. (laughs) I can't tell you how envious and jealous I am. You know, I used to call myself a proclaimed insomniac because I, as you know, live a very busy, high-powered, nonstop day. 
pretty mm-hmm. much all day long, no matter you know how much exercise I do, whatever. And one of the things that has been challenging for me has been sleep. And I know the importance of sleep. We talk about this. We you know train on this. I understand you know the time frame and how the body needs to repair itself. And yet I can tell you that for me it's falling asleep. I have clients who can fall asleep, but they wake up in the middle of the night, whether it's to go to the bathroom or it's something mm-hmm. else, and then they can't fall back asleep. So everyone has different issues and struggles, perhaps with sleep in different ways. But when I had a period of time going back several years ago of knowing that it was time to get to bed, I have to tell you, I was really anxious because there were days and nights that I would be lying in bed and I'd have my eyes closed, just praying that please let me fall asleep. Right. And then that anxiety that keeps your mind racing at that point, let me fall asleep, let me fall asleep, let me fall asleep, does nothing but keep you awake. Right. And, you know, I've said this before, my husband used to say to me, well, stop watching Criminal Minds at 10 o'clock at night. And I would say to him, it's not the content because it's might be a little bit of it, but it's really that blue light, that light that gets in your eyes that screws up your circadian rhythms, Mm -hmm. which prevents you from knowing the difference between day and night and doesn't give your body the chance to set up its own time clock to fall asleep. You know, melatonin is made from your eyes. It's made in your, from what you see. And Mm -hmm. so when you have the blue light in front of you from your phone, or watching TV, your brain is not settling down to go to sleep and starting to produce that melatonin. So it's good in that you were able to first disengage your brain from the day's activities. So go ahead, tell me the rest. (laughs) Yes, my therapist friend here. That was such a therapy. Type that was of such a therapy moment. But that was your therapy moment. I love People that. Don't understand that that you know <laughs> melatonin is made from our eyes, and why is it important to not have all of this going on? So I remember that I went to Canyon Ranch. I've talked about this before, and I worked with a therapist there on sleep and. I would always say, I know I'm not supposed to watch TV. Everyone keeps telling me, don't watch TV when you get into bed at night because, you know, it's going to keep you awake and you won't fall asleep. And I would always say, but that's the one time after my long, busy day that I can just deflate. That even if I'm not paying attention, it just takes my mind off of everything else. And why can't I do that? And the response was, well, you can do that. I said, what? You're giving me permission to do that? How, how does that help me with falling asleep? <laughs> and what they said is, if I had a time frame or say I wanted to go, to, and again, remember this, everybody, it's not about what time you get into bed. It's what time do you go to sleep? Because mm-hmm. there are many times I can get in bed at 8.30 at night and I'm still awake at two in the morning watching mm-hmm. TV. I hate to say it, but it's true. Not anymore, but that's what I used to do. (laughs) But what would happen is that if I was having a set time and saying, I want to work on my sleep, I want to be asleep, say 11 o'clock at night, because I know that I'm getting up at seven in the morning. That's what my schedule is. There are some of my clients are getting up at four or five in the morning for their work, but 
whatever it is. So whatever your routine is, is what your routine is. But for me, it was the difference of going to bed at 11 instead of at 2. And what they would say is at 10.45, set an alarm and finish your show and make a commitment to finish whatever it is that you're watching at 10.45. And then put on some type of relaxation music or a sleep meditation. And do that for about 15 minutes or so before you had set your goal time for going to sleep. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, whatever. And there were two apps that I paid attention to online because there's so much talk about them. One was Calm and the other was Headspace. And I fell in love with Calm because one of the things that worked for me was that they had some really great sleep stories on Calm. There's a gentleman, Eric Bra, who has the most unbelievable voice. And I have to tell you, there was a story that he had, which is about the Orient Express. I don't know why I picked that, but it was so fabulous because it just the way that he speaks and the way that he describes the train and the color of the carpets and the, you know, the visualization of what the wallpaper was in the train and how they cook things and you're hearing a train moving in the background. All I know is that to date, I have never heard the end of the story. <laughs> never. It it was incredible. And I'd be, how is this possible? And then, it, then remember I said before how my husband is snoring before he closes his eyes? Uh-huh. That's because one of the things that my husband does, which is so smart, my husband listens to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, if I listened to an audiobook, I'd be listening to the same chapter 25 times. I don't know that I would get past the story. <laughs> So yes, anyway, my point is that there are things that you can do to help you to relax. If you're having struggles with falling asleep, there are a lot of things that you can do. Getting out of bed, go and do something else, go into another room, do anything to distract yourself, but put yourself into a scenario where you can fall asleep. Now, Tammy, I have to say this because... My husband and a lot of my friends that have partners talk about how snoring keeps them awake at night. I can tell you that noise reduction earpods, <laughs> AirPods are the best. Are the best, the best invention <laughs> ever where I can just listen to something that's soothing, relaxing that can help me and it's all about developing a relaxing bedtime routine so that I am more efficient and I am better able to function right the next day. And I think part of that is avoiding getting on your computer or looking at your email, all of those things that keep your brain engaged. Setting that getting into bed before the time you want to be asleep or turning off the TV before you want to be asleep allows our brain to disengage. And the thing is we've got, you know, DVR now. We can finish the rest of criminal minds first thing in the morning when we wake up before we put on you know the morning traffic we can finish the 15 minutes or whatever before we get our day going because it's not like it used to be where you had to watch it all that night or you had to wait for it to come back and rerun but setting that routine maybe it's you know a hot cup of tea and it's it's interesting that we all pick tea having a hot cup of tea to relax 
think about this. We pick having a hot cup of tea to relax, but a hot cup of coffee to get going. Ah, it's right. It's it's, even though they both have caffeine, one more than the other, but and they're both like that. They're both hot and in cups. And some people say, oh, well, I don't drink tea. Okay, you don't have to like it's like stop finding ways to just push back and be obstinate. But it's that routine of what does that mean to sit down and just let myself breathe and engaging all of your senses, learning how to do that. When you're learning how to take care of yourself, we have so many more senses that we do not normally engage that we have to begin to fully engage and be part of. So there's a phenomenon that blind people experience where while they can't see, often their hearing and their sense of smell and their sense of touch increase because the body is compensating for the lack of vision. Well, all of those senses, though, are affecting different parts of your brain and affect mood differently. But the brain will also redirect. So when we lose our sense of sight, just say, the brain will begin to redirect feedback from the visual cortex into the other areas of the brain, which is why our hearing gets better or our sense of smell gets better. I have an old friend that had a visual impairment and he was legally blind and he could hardly see anything but shadows. But man, you pull out some kind of a food or something with a smell, a candle with a fragrance, he could tell you instantly. And he'd be across the room. He'd be like, oh, you took out the blah, blah, blah. And you're like, how'd you know? Like, I haven't even gotten it out of whatever. He's like, oh, I can smell it. And it was just always like, nah, no, you can't. No, you can't. And, you know, research has shown over the years that all of these, all of our other senses increase. So there are a lot of different things that you can do. I'm sitting here doing a recording and I have this beautiful window that I'm looking at and I'm standing here as we're talking about this and my yard is so pretty right now. The trees are blooming. I have flowers coming out, um, all the different colors. The sun is hitting the leaves on the trees. The wind is blowing and I'm just observing and looking at the beauty of the trees and the plantings and the sky. That's mm-hmm. that's powerful. But right. also you can do things not only in that sense, but what about just listening to music? I don't know about you, but I don't want to say her name right now. She's a little speaker that's in my office because if I say her name, she's going to talk back to me right at this moment. Uh-huh. But if I want to hear some music, I have to sit for a moment and think about what do I want to listen to right now? Right. Sometimes it's classic energizing, bebopy, right. you know. Something like that. So yes, I it, tell her to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so it depends on what it is that I need to hear. Uh, there are times when I'm cooking dinner and what I will do is I will look for new recipes because this way I want to experience something new or try a new vegetable that maybe I haven't had before or enhance my taste buds. Right. You're um, making those new senses The you know, your sense of smell, your sense of taste in a different way. And one of the things that is my best, and I know you'll relate to this, is 
Sometimes when I'm feeling a little anxious, what I'll do is I'll go over to one of my dogs and just kind of grab my dog and pet my dog and snuggle up next to them and feel the warmth of their body next to mine. That is so incredibly soothing. So again, there are all these different senses that we have and what can we do to enhance them just so that they become more alive and it triggers things in our brain to bring us to a positive state instead of one that's of negativity. Mm -hmm. And the last one I'll, I'll leave with you on this one before we move on to the next one is there are some things that you can do in the practical that are shown to create calm. And one of them is the scent of lavender. So having lavender near your bed, spraying like a mist, of lavender oil on like some dried potpourri or something by your bed, making a lavender water to squirt on your pillows, carrying with you during the day a little bottle of lavender oil so that when you're out during the day and you're getting anxious, you can unscrew it and just sniff your lavender oil or put it like on your you know, on your wrists or something so that you have it in order to help calm you down. Because lavender is one of those fragrances that is a calming fragrance. It's interesting that you say that. I have a diffuser that I have in my office. And depending on the mood that I'm in, I will have different scents that I will try and put in there. And it always brings me back to, oh, this smells like a spa. Mm -hmm. And even taking it, I I know this is going to sound really strange to some people, but In our bathroom, for the towels that we have, I have a towel rack that is shelves. And -hmm. what I do is I fold my towels into three, meaning, you know, inside of each other, instead of in half, and then I roll them. Okay. And I stack them on the shelves instead of just having a pile of folded towels. You know, and every time I walk into my bathroom, it just brings back like being in a spa, even though it's ridiculous and it doesn't, but it just, it's that little effort in doing something very small that just brings a good feeling of calmness when I walk into that room. So yes, I have diffusers in my, in my bathroom. And one of the things that I bought recently was a light that has a well on top of it and you put these wax uh the wax fragrance fragrance into it so i constantly have this you know smell of something that just brings back spa to me which is very calming Mm -hmm. i bought during the pandemic i bought one of those lights that changes colors and that you oh yeah put the put a little bit of water in and you put the drops of oil in Oh my God, for all of 2020 and 2021, I definitely got my money out of that, you know, fragrance diffuser aerator thing because I had, I was able to find all of these oil blends already mixed up that were for energy and for peace and for calming and all of this stuff. So it was already mixed up and I was able to use that in it was delightful. So that's important. Yeah. So look, for everybody out there who's listening, you need to understand that it can be challenging when you're in a depressed state 
to think of all of these things that are positive or to do something positive, especially when you're in that state and you can't find a way to come out of it. Yet, just remember that although it can be challenging, we can also make some things a little bit fun if we just put a little bit of effort in there. And that aspect of loving ourselves is such an individual process that we need to find the thing that is going to comfort us and find out what really works best for me and continue with them. And, you know, Tammy, it doesn't even have to be anything as far as, you know, essential oils or, you know, smells or folded towels. It could be reading a book. It could be getting online and talking to some supportive friends or just looking for perhaps some new ways that you can take care of yourself. Right. And the thing is, is it's individual. Everybody's going to find the thing that, that benefits them. And it's about taking that time out, even if it's five minutes. Well, what else do you recommend to your clients or your patients as far as tools to acknowledge that they are not feeling well. Look, there are times that people are in a depressed state and they don't realize what it is. And it's just that their actions kind of indicate what's going on. So if you see someone, for example, who all of a sudden isn't returning phone calls and you've been calling them, or maybe uh, you've met somebody who's been dealt with the blow of losing a loved one or caretaking for somebody, and it's very stressful. I think that even if you're not being that person who might be in an anxious or a depressed state, it's looking at those people around you who you want to support, who might need you to give them a quick little pick-me-up. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you something. Doing that for somebody else is very empowering in your own self-care. And it becomes, not only are you empowering them or giving them some self-care, but it does, it comes back to you as well. And I think what else has to happen is people have to begin to realize and value who they are and realize that they deserve to love themselves and that they're worth it. And that's the part that I think people struggle with the most is there's this underlying thought process of I'm not worth it. I'm worth less or I'm this. And we really have to begin to acknowledge that while I may not be perfect, I am worth loving myself and I am worth, you know, being loved by other people. Yeah, that's a really great point, Tammy. And a lot of times when I I'm working with a new client, one of my first questions always is, well, why will this time be different than what you've done in the past? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that people are coming to us for or coming to me for to help them to get on this more positive journey? Why, Why now? What will be different now? Or will you just be going back to some of the old behaviors that you've had? And I guess that comes down to what we talk about all the time. It's having that intrinsic desire for change because what they're doing isn't working for them. So it's, it's recognizing that and then moving forward with the steps to make those changes. And sometimes someone, one of my professors in school used to tell us that people will seek therapy when remaining the same 
is more painful than dealing with things in therapy. And it's like, we seek to change only when staying the same is going to be more painful than changing. Because we, we as humans, we avoid change almost at all costs. But at some point, we will make the change when staying the same is just, it's too much. Well, change is challenging. Change is difficult. And people sometimes don't, who've never experienced this, don't understand that sometimes you have to walk through the coals to come out of the fire. Correct. And because we feel like when we're in the midst of talking about the pain or sitting in the therapist's office, crying about the pain or talking about the frustration or the hurt or whatever, we feel like that that's going to be the way everything stays and that that's the end. And that's really just the beginning because once we're able to bring that stuff out, we can then stop carrying it around. We can deal with the pain and whatever is associated with it. And that may take us months, but at some point, it's like every day leaving a little bit on the outside, you know, every day that you come home from work, emptying some of the pain out of your pockets and eventually your pockets are going to be empty. And when you come home, you're going to have, you're going to have nothing left to empty out, but then you're going to have filled your pockets with all of these other joy life-sustaining, life-fulfilling things that have just replaced what was there, but it's taking the time to get there. Well, being aware that you need to make a change, you know, that, that's the thing. And sometimes there might be other people who will point it out to you and have that intervention, as we call it, especially if someone is really, really sinking. But you know what, Tammy, just remember this, that every time that you know, one chooses self-care over destructive behavior, reconnects them with two important things. One is that they deserve to love themselves and that they're worth it. Yep. And those are the things that we have to remember is that we're worth it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expert advice and your therapy hat today on what we've been talking about. We appreciate everybody joining us at Coach My Wellness, just for the health of it. Please note that every Thursday night at 8 p.m., we are on Instagram Live speaking with our community, and we would love to have you join us at Coach My Wellness underscore CMW. Also, you can go to our website and subscribe to our newsletter to get the most updated and current information that we can share with you. We would love to have you join us at CoachMyWellness.com. Again, your host today, Joanne Orshan and Tammy St. Clair. And we look forward to having another episode with you on 360 Talk Radio for Women. Talk to you soon. See you next week. You've been listening to Coach My Wellness. For more information about healthy habits and behaviors, visit our website at coachmywellness.com and follow us on Instagram at coachmywellness underscore CMW. 
for weekly live streams Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. We hope to see you there.